What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On today's podcast, we have Jack Hahn. Uh, we don't know how to actually pronounce his last name. He'll get to it at the very end of the episode here. Uh, if you're not Chinese, you're probably going to screw it up as well. But uh, Jack is just a wonderful guy. He's been around a lot of great elite minds in hockey. Uh, there's there's a lot to unpack on this one. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. What do you, you think, Dan? Yeah, I had a great time. I met Jack uh, last August 2019 at uh, Daryl Belfry's pro camp and uh, Women Olympics camp down in Naples, Florida. And uh, Jack, day one immediately, like obviously I, I already knew who he was, but just spending a week with him, just an incredibly impressive mind, not even just a hockey mind, just a very interesting human, a renaissance man of sorts. Just he's, He just has a way of communicating about anything. Like he can take any subject and make it applicable to, to any other subject. I think it's like a really fascinating um, quality of his and I think that our audience is really going to dig what he is you know talking about here yeah it's great I really enjoyed uh, talking through some of the transferable skills skill blends uh, I mean we, we talked everything from machine learning to what you know how software is getting developed these days so uh, yeah what can you say about the man? He's all over the place, but it's all relatable and he makes it very simple for people to comprehend. So really, really like this episode. Uh, Dan, anything else before we get into it? Let's send it over. Here's our conversation with Jack. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. How are we doing today? We are doing great. You're actually keeping me away from my Xbox. Uh, I'm playing a little chill. So, so, so I guess, I guess it's good to be doing something more productive so yeah thanks well aren't you doing research for your new book yeah yeah we can call it that <laughs> yeah uh yeah. Re- research I'm, I'm excited it should be a good book i feel like a lot of people need help on the shell game big time big time but but are even you finally like, ranked uh i honestly like i've been so busy coaching and uh writing and i actually i, I played less this month than any other month since uh may i would say so that definitely not not ranked super high right now in the monthly rankings. Yeah, you'll you'll, you'll get there. It's only a matter of time. But uh, no, glad to have you on here. Um, curious, maybe to start with some of your background for people that might not know your story, uh, how you kind of got to this point. Doesn't have to be super in depth. Just uh, give some background. Oh man, this is like like every single time I go on a podcast or I get interviewed, like I get asked about this. So uh, I was born in China. Didn't know what hockey was till I was seven years old. Moved to Canada um played house league was terrible quit for a few years came back actually like got interested in how to play hockey better and i was actually better the second time around 
coached high school hockey, uh, studied marketing in college, got a real job, didn't like it. Uh, and then, you know, kind of inch my way into working in hockey and you know, that that's that pretty much. That's not bad at all. <laughs> you definitely left some, some steps out there. Okay. Well, let me see if I can help fill in the spaces here. So you worked for the Montreal Canadians, uh, on their digital, uh, like media side, right? Like you wrote stories for their website. Yeah. So that was in 2013, 14. That, that was like back when, you know, Terry Price, PK Subban, Max Pacioretty, Alex Galchenyuk, you know, those guys were kind of in, in their heydays. And, um, that year really got me, first of all, you know, I became way more knowledgeable about like what actually happens behind the scenes. Cause I, I would fly with the team on charters. I would go and cover practice. I go and cover home games and stuff like that. But also that year, I, you know, I saw what was going on and I'm like, you know, I think there's actually better ways to, whether it's coach hockey, play hockey, manage, you know, make trades or whatever. And, you know, I really got into advanced stats that year, but, you know, not, not for its own sake, but just as a way to objectively, you know, measure outcomes and also, um, you know, look for ways to improve. And, and, and so after that, I, um, I thought to myself, well, if I want to work in hockey full time on the hockey ops side, then I should probably go and work at a lower level. And it so happened that uh, McGill University's women's team, which was one of the best uh, uh, Canadian university hockey programs uh, ever, I would say, in terms of the, the history of success, they were looking for a video coach. So I went, went over there, did that for three years. And then that got me hired uh, to an NHL job with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's keep going. So, okay, from there, you worked for the Maple Leafs as a hockey operations assistant, right? And then... Yeah, so, so I, I did a bit of everything. Like, m- right. mostly it was keeping track of our, our drafted prospects. So whether, you know, whether they were playing junior in uh, the CHL or they were in college or they were playing, you know, pro hockey in Europe, like, I would watch all their games, track some stats, uh, write up some reports and just kind of keep the rest of the player development staff kind of abreast of what was going on with them. And, and just to kind of give you like an example of the, the work that I did was uh, one of the players that, you know, I was really involved with kind of developing was Pierre Engvall because the first year I came in, he was kind of, he was a seventh round pick. So he wasn't a guy that was a high priority necessarily. And he was playing like um, he was playing in the the second Swedish league, but then he just got moved up with uh, HV 71 in the SHL. So, so I watched um, almost all of his games that season. And and I really like, I was really high on him just because of, you know, like his ability to carry the puck. He, you know, he's huge. He's six foot five skates like the wind, um, you know, plays really well in contact. So, so this was a guy who I thought, okay, well, you know, based on what we value in terms of players, like this is a guy that we should bring over and we should really fast track. So he comes over with the Marlies in 17, 18 in the playoffs, had a good playoffs, played on the third line, but, you know, played a really big part in, in their Calder Cup championship run. The following year, he became, um, you know, a very relied upon player for the Marlies. He actually went from left wing to center. And that was one of the things I pushed for because of how well he skated and how well um, he could play both on his forehand and his backhand side. And, you know, we, we were kind of thin down the middle at that point, but he actually turned out to be one of the best uh, AHL centers, um, you know, in the latter half of 1819 and then the first half of uh, 1920. 
And that's when he got called up to the Leafs and, you know, I, I never saw him again, which, 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 which is great. And, and he's probably the player I'm, I'm most proud of working with the Leafs. Wow. That's, that's a lot. So you, you basically helped him. Were you helped helping in the drafting or is it pure player development? And then I guess from that, what, when you're evaluating players, I mean, what are you looking for? What do you value? Uh, those types of things. Well, well, first of all, you know, he, he helped himself first of all, by, by working really hard and doing the right things and, and working with our, our development staff and implementing all the things that we talk about, right. Um, uh, in, in terms of the skill development aspect, in terms of the fitness, but really, um, you know, perhaps if you if you were in another organization, you know, he would have gotten seen twice a year. And if he didn't play that well in those two games, then maybe, you know, we, you know, he, he wouldn't get the chance to play AHL or to be brought over and to really be fast track. Right. So, so the, the, you know, he did the work, but I think what, what worked out well in, in our process is that we were able to watch him often and, and keep detailed, notes on what was going on and we could see this progress and we can see that he was kind of on the way to outperform his draft spot or his, you know, previous offensive production. And this is a player who can really transfer well to the NHL game. So player development's this huge umbrella and it means a lot to a lot of different people. I'm curious for you, how you would rank, maybe not rank, but maybe if you had like a pie chart, how, how would you prefer to spend your time coaching prospects, scouting prospects? Well, it, like that's a difficult answer. Um, to, like it's a really difficult question to answer with like a, like a number. Sure. But I, w- what I would say um, is that as a scout, I've improved by learning the player development or the coaching side. And right. as a coach or a player development consultant, I've improved by learning how to scout. So really, these are kind of two synergetic activities because, yeah. you know, what, what are the things that you're looking for when you're scouting a player? Well, you're looking for a player who can be a factor at the next level, right? Now, in terms of being a factor yeah. at the next level, there, there are things that you're good at that are hard to teach, right? There are things that you're good at that you can easily teach. There are things that you're not good at that are hard to teach. And then there are things that you're not good at, but that you can improve, right? So it's all about figuring out like, you know, where does this player fall in these four quadrants and and picking the player that has the best chance to kind of, you know, evolve. Right. So if you have a small guy, but his skating is projectable, his hockey sense is projectable, um, then you know what, like he'll be able to survive at the next level. Whereas, you know, if you have a small guy who also doesn't, isn't able to beat checks or jump by guys or, well, then he, he's not translatable at the next level, right? right? So one thing I'm curious about then, so obviously for you, you've enjoyed being on the scouting side and on the coaching side. Do you think as a blanket statement, it would be fair to say that, you know, career scouts would be, it would behoove them to spend some time in a coaching role and vice versa? Or is, is it like, you know, it's better to specialize. There's people who are like very talented at this one thing you know, specific task and they're better served for the organization doing X. I, I mean, for, in my opinion, it's absolutely a good, a good idea for scouts to kind of broaden their skill sets. And, and actually, if, if you, if you think about it, like lots of younger scouts now, they do come up from a coaching or player development background, which is mm-hmm. great. 
Um, and, and the reason is, is that as a scout, you're looking for the, the, the traits that drive success, but which are really hard to teach, right? right? So how can you know what's hard to teach or what's easy to teach if you don't attempt to teach some of those things, right? So like, um, you know, we're, if we're talking about like Matt Barzell or Nate McKinnon or even, you know, a player like Seth Jarvis, who's, who's going to be eligible for the draft this year, like for me, the thing that's really – that they got that's really hard to teach is their ability to make plays inside of movement, right? To, to kind of um, make plays inside of a crossover or a cutback or, you know, to change speeds and then to have their heads up, be able to manipulate opponents. And, and that, that could be the thing, like the, that skill blending aspect of it could, could be the single hardest thing to teach. Right. So w- whether that player is undersized or maybe his production is, a little bit less than some of his comparable players or uh, maybe he plays in a weaker league. Well, those are some things that perhaps you could discount if you, if you really believe in this player's ability to skill blend, because at the next level, well, he can get stronger, he can get faster. He can maybe grow a little bit. He's going to play with better line mates. So, so then, you know, his qualities are going to emerge. Whereas maybe a player who does things well, like shoot or skate or hit, but only in isolation well, those players, maybe they're going to struggle at the next level. So, you know, if you have a track record, if you have some knowledge on the player development side and you realize, okay, this is something that's really hard for me to teach, then perhaps you should draft for that. And that's kind of how I see that, that synergy happening. So I know Dan and I are very familiar with this, but maybe uh, for our listeners, what, what is a skill blend? So a skill blend, like the, it's almost like a math equation in the sense that like, it, it's like X inside of Y, right? So it's like, can you make a pass inside of a crossover or can you shoot inside of a forward stride or, um, you know, can you pivot and escape inside of contact? So it's almost like this, you know, like most elite players, they can skate at a certain speed or they can, you know, stick handle at a certain uh, proficiency, but a lot of those players, they'll lose those attributes as soon as you put them in a situation where you have to, they have to do two things at once. So stick handle while they skate or, you know, shoot while they're, uh, they're getting bumped or, you know, pivot while they're looking for an option, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Cause uh, the difference between, I would say, pro and junior hockey is that in junior hockey you can skate away from guys whereas in a pro environment you always have somebody on you or somebody bearing down on you so you're always juggling different threats and really that aspect of whether it's hockey iq or hockey sense or you know technical fundamentals like those things will matter way more in a pro context so i met jack last year last august at daryl belfry's pro camp down in naples florida I'm curious, Jack. So we were, we were very fortunate to be on the ice with some of the, the world's best. You already mentioned like Barzal and the, the list goes on. There was some amazing talent on the ice. I'm curious if, are you able to watch a player in a isolated environment skill blend and then deduce right then and there anything about that player's hockey sense, hockey IQ, or do you need to see it in a game environment before you can make that assertion? it's really difficult if not impossible it depends on who you are but 
like for me, if I see a player running through drills by himself, I have no confidence in his hockey sense, right? Like right. I, I, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see him. Like even like whether it's like a three on three or a four, or a four right, on four right. setting, like I'd rather see him five on five yeah, or yeah. her five on five, right? Like actually like you, you, you'll remember, but um, last year um, when we were at the Belfry, the, the 88 summit, you know, we, we had a really elite group of defensemen. Like if you put all those guys out on the ice, like that team is not cap compliant. Like no, the, not even close. The, the, Actually, no, I, have, like, I have that spreadsheet on my desktop. I'll send it over. Like if we, if we put that team together, it'd be like the cap hit would be like a hundred million or something more. Like yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then, so, so we, you know, we watched guys like Matt Dumba or Keith Yandel or Mike Matheson or Aaron Eckblad, um, Roman, you know, run, well, 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 wait for it, but yeah. <laughs> we, we see all these guys run through the drills, Roman Yossi, right? And, and I, like my first impression was like, okay, well, Yossi's good, but he's not special, right? And then the game starts and it's like, he's like running circles around everyone. Right. And then if you watch like him playing for the Preds or if you watch, um, if you look at the advanced stats, like in terms of his involvement on exits and entries, like he's literally lapping the field. Like there's nothing in hockey where one player has such a, overwhelming edge on the rest of the league as Yossi does in terms of his transition play. It's, it's just incredible, right? Like Yossi is like uh, just heads and shoulders above everybody else. But if you watch him in an isolated drill context, you don't see that. You don't like, you wouldn't even think that he's better than Matt Dumba, for instance, who looked really good that week. Right. I agree. Like that's messed up, right? Cause if like, you think that, you know, as someone who coaches hockey or watches a lot of NHL games or who follows the game closely, is like, you know, you can't even pick out a guy who laps the field. You know, I'm glad you said that because uh, he had a he had a bit of a down year. But like, I think about somebody like the Brinkett, who was coming off a 40 goal season, and when you watch him in, um, you know, these isolated skill drills he doesn't blow you away. Like he's not the fastest guy in the world. He doesn't even have like the hardest shot for a 40 goal guy. So therefore there must be, he must be doing something that's like exceptional. And I would argue it's his sense, right? Like his, his ability to pop into spots at the right time when you're coaching. Cause I know you, you do some work now with uh, some, some minor players. I think that's awesome. By the way, I'm sure that's uh, a really great, you know, environment for, for them and for you. Um, Absolutely. Loving it. Yeah, it's the best. What, um, like, how, how do you go about, like, teaching hockey sense in, a, in isolation from the skills, or, or, or maybe how do you blend the two together? So, so we can go back to that conversation about scouting versus player development. And so, so I'm working with, uh, with really, like, two or three players on, on a more kind of consistent basis right now. And the first conversation I have with them and their parents is like, can you send me some game footage? Right. Because, you know, hockey is a sport, but inside the sport, there's different ways of playing. So the, the first thing I want to gather is from a scouting perspective, what are this, what are this player's uh, strength and weaknesses? So what can I leverage and what do I need to downplay? Right. Is this a small player who has really great wheels and really great hands, but, doesn't get the puck as often as he should. Is this a bigger player who, you know, has trouble making plays inside of movement? Uh, is this, you know, a stay at home D who is looking to expand her game a little bit more to play kind of a more modern style, so on and so forth. So 
I don't feel good coming in and making recommendations or taking them through drills until I get a sense of who they are as, as players and as people. Right. So, so not only like in terms of like, you know, what level they play at or what their ambitions are, but you know, like I work with uh, both boys and girls and for the girls, like I put a really big emphasis on, okay, like you're good at hockey. Hockey's your life. You're going to play hockey in school uh, you know, at the college level, but, but after that, so what, you know, well, what I would argue for them is, you know, you can actually learn a lot through the medium of hockey in terms of how to be a better, you know, a a better employee in the future, maybe an entrepreneur, uh, definitely, you know, a sister, a daughter, a mother, uh, a spouse, whatever. Right. And, And like, you can learn about these things inside the game. So that's the other side of things that, that are really, for me, is really interesting. That's something that's super valuable in, in my, uh, my teams that I coach. We, we definitely have a focus on that. Even uh, University of Akron that I coach with, we have a specific program called LifeU. So we try to do everything you don't actually get in school, like personal finances, things like that. So very much into that. And I think that's very good and something that more players need to think about beforehand, whether they're going to be playing in college or professional at some point. Uh, the train does stop and you have to get off and uh, you know, there's so much more that goes into it. So couldn't, couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. And, and the practical application of that is like, once you're kind of plugged into what this player and what this person is like, then you're in a way better position to teach them. Right. Jack, one thing I've always really admired about you is your ability to take things from outside the sport of hockey and apply them to the game. Um, or, conversely take things from you know outside of hockey and apply it to hockey what do you attribute that to and and like where did that start well well the first uh the the first reason is because for the for for the first six or seven years of my life i didn't know there was such a thing as as hockey so why don't when i was little i was really into like military history i was really into airplanes i was into auto racing um you know i played soccer i swam for a little bit uh i played tennis most of my childhood so it's like you know hockey is a thing that i that i know pretty well and that i'm fairly good at i would say but like i'm also good at other stuff and i like other stuff i'm I'm the same way my curiosity has outgrown my hockey ability tenfold um and i know jack you and i talked about f1 a little bit and got me on, on one of my articles about the undercut and how that actually should be able to apply to hockey as well. And the quicker you change, um, the, the better off your team is because you're continuing to get fresh troops out there. Uh, I'm curious, maybe some general ideas of areas that coaches are, are missing, uh, maybe even at the professional level that you've been at, uh, that really they, they can grow their craft and make their team better and even players. So, um, like I, I do a little bit of weightlifting, just, just, just enough to kind of stay in shape. But it's, it, it's a really interesting um, field to study because you're, you're dealing kind of in, in the absolutes of kind of human output. And whether it's uh, sprinting or weightlifting or kind of those kind of more, I would say, straightforward sports, you see that, you know, there, it's not a straight line between um, – the, the, the amount of effort you put in and the output that's the outputs that you get, right? Like for, for instance, like a lot of power lifters, like they'll, they'll hit their personal best in training and then they'll ease off a bit. And then only by easing off, can they kind of repeat those personal bests in competition? 
So it's like you, you get the idea of like, okay, well, I have to work hard to build up a base, but then at some point I got to kind of lay off and then um, kind of give myself some rest or let my body recuperate and then be able to perform at my best in competition. So it's like there, there, there's that kind of ebb and flow that I think is really interesting for hockey coaches because, you know, the season's fairly long and obviously it's a very physically demanding sport and we're always trying to push our players to, to play fast and play hard and, and so on and so forth. And, and if you, if you kind of look beyond hockey and you look at other disciplines, you see that there, there's, you know, coaches can harness that ebb and flow instead of trying to work against it all the time. And even in practices, I think that's a valuable thing of how the ebb and flow is in a practice um, in a team environment. A great thing to do is throw in a game instead of skating. If something's not going well, there's, you know, you, you have to understand your team, where they're at mentally and the energy levels and then pull those strings. So I, I think you're spot on there. What, what about you, Dan? I know you guys do some interesting things on uh, youth organization. Yeah, definitely. And I think Jack's right that, you know, certainly in a long season, these are considerations that need to be from a, so you've worked in a team setting, you've worked in an individual setting. Do you find it, uh, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, more rewarding perhaps, like working with like a small group versus like in a team environment or maybe it's the other way around because you're like, you're all pulling on the same rope versus like these small groups that you're working with, um, you know, every, at the end of the day, these are, these are kind of like independent contractors, I'd imagine. I don't know if they're on the same team or not. Um, like what's that been like for you? For, I, I mean, for sure it's different, but um, I'm not really too choosy about that as long as kind of, I, I can really connect with the people that I'm with. Like my favorite experience in hockey is actually, it's, it's really weird because, um, it was my last year at McGill and we get to the final of, uh, the national championship. So it's, it's a one, it's a one game, uh, winner takes all kind of deal. Um, we, we were playing against the university of Alberta. And then we were out shooting them like 40 to two, but the score was one, one after uh, regulation time. So we get to, I think double overtime. And then I was looking down for some reason, like I was, uh, I was filming the game. I was looking down. And then the moment that I looked down, this puck went off of our defense defenseman's shin pad and goes into the net. So we lose two, one, like double OT final of nationals, like everybody's crying and, you know, everybody's freaking out. But for me, like, like it was, it was such a, I don't want to say happy, but it was such a thrilling moment just because like, okay, we we've lost, but like, it, it was such a wonderful year and we had accomplished everything that we wanted to. And it was, it was going to be my last year at McGill, you know, kind of working day to day with that program. And like, I just enjoyed that journey so much. And you know, like the, we lose the game, we get silver, but like life goes on. And it was just like, that was the best feeling I got in hockey, which is really weird, right? Like is normally if you lose in the final, it's, you're supposed to regret it for the rest of your life, but it, it wasn't like that for me at all. So, so I'm just kind of curious to see like where I'm going to find those moments again. Coaching is not a bad place to start. I think it's something yeah. that you've uh, got a talent for and clearly you've been around a lot of people that are, good at it. Um, I mean, what, what are maybe some things you've learned along the way that have been big for you and how you apply your coaching nowadays or some things that you're seeing that are questions that these top coaches are asking and trying to find answers for? Uh, that's a very, 
that's a very good question. So I'm gonna have to think about that for a couple of seconds. But I think that like the, the longer I, or the further down the road I go, you know, in terms of hockey and coaching and stuff like that, the more I find use for my marketing degree. Because ultimately, you know, you're trying to sell your ideas to people and you're trying to help them implement it. Right? So, so that, that aspect of marketing, I think, is really interesting because, you know, if, if you contrast teaching and, and marketing, for instance, if you teach uh, a kid and the kid doesn't learn, you could say that it's his fault. But if you market to a, to a prospective client and the client's not buying, then it's definitely your fault. Does that make sense? It makes sense. So if you think about like kind of your job as less of a coach or a teacher and more of a, as a marketer, then you start kind of, uh, you start to take ownership or you're more accountable to your methods because if, if they don't work, then it's your fault. It's not because like your your players are dumb or they're not paying attention or they're not trying hard or no, it's just you you're not doing the best things to get through it for whatever reason. So I think about that a lot. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. What maybe like uh, I keep coming back to last year because I I thought that the Belfry camp was just like a profoundly amazing experience for me. Like what was maybe what was your like takeaway coming out of that something that you applied to last season with the you know with the marley's or or even just in your personal life like where were you after that like what what was your head space like well it just it gave me a really great appreciation for working alongside other people who are elite at what they do so it's like, you know, that, that collection of people that we had, whether it's in terms of players or the, the, the coaching staff or, you know, those are kind of like the people there are the grandmasters of our sport, right? So if you bring 25 grandmasters together for a week, then some pretty magical things happen, first of all. But second of all is that then you go back into respective environments and you realize that things aren't done that way usually. So it's almost like you're always chasing that dragon, right, of like, how can I get back there or how can I find that, le that level of thinking or that level of discourse? And at some point you got to accept that, you know what, like you're not going to find it because, you know, how often do you get the, the opportunity to bring, to bring in, you know, 25 elite people and just have them do what they want for a week? Not many, right? Not many. So then it's like, you know, how can I make do the other, you know, 51 weeks of the year and how can I, you know, gradually, you know, make things less sucky for myself and <laughs> people around me, right? Because honestly, like, you get used to what goes on that week and then you come back to your team and then it's like, my players suck or it's like, my coaching sucks or, you know, like, our results suck, whatever. Like, it's, it's just like, but, but that's life, right? <laughs> you just have to accept that. Like, um, you know, talking about tennis, um, you know, you play your, the best match of your life once in your life, right? And the, the, the only way to kind of get that high again is to improve your base level um, enough so, so that, you know, naturally it, it happens that, you know, next week, next week are better than this week and next year you're better than this year. And then at some point you're going to have that peak performance again. But you can only get there by improving your base level. 
and your base level. That's the other 51 weeks of the year, whatever it is. Very, very pronounced. I, I really enjoyed that response. Um, I'm curious just kind of where your head is at since you, you've had access to so many elite minds of where hockey is at, where it's going to be going in the future. Um, maybe you can't get into the proprietary stuff or the things that they're thinking about and that you're, you're influenced by and now you're thinking about and wanting to work on. So for, for me, kind of on a higher level is w- whether you're looking at Barzell or Yossi or, you know, Daryl Belfry or, you know, what I try to do is, you know, you, you work in an industry that, that's, you know, th- there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of conventions, but, but it's also pretty open-ended, right? Like if you tell Roman Yossi, okay, well, I don't want you to ever jump in the rush. All of a sudden, he's not going to be Roman Yossi anymore, right? Or if you tell Matt Barzell, like, I want you to punt every puck out of the zone instead of carry it out. Or, you know, I want you to dump and chase every time. He's not going to be Matt Barzell anymore. So the, the natural reaction from these elite performers w- when they're confronted with things that don't make sense is they're going to say no, and they're, they're going to do it their way, right? If you tell Daryl Belfry to do something that doesn't make sense to him, he's going to tell you no, and then he's going to do it his way. So there, it's kind of a double-edged sword because if you don't have, like if your mouth is writing checks that your body can't cash and you don't have kind of that elite skill set to back it up, then it's a really good way to get you blown out, right? But if you do, then it's the absolute best way to make the most of your potential. So on the one hand, like, you know, I'm always trying to kind of improve my, my skill base and, you know, just play and get better at what I'm doing. But on the other hand, it's like if I'm ever confronted with people who, you know, try to put me in a box or, you know, tell me, well, you shouldn't do it this way. Well, you know, it's when push comes to shove, I'm going to say no and do it my way. Right. And and that's, I think that that's the common denominator between all the elite performers I've worked with or been around is is that they they have this elite skill set, but they also have this elite you know, self-belief or that elite, um, you know, conscience, I would say. I got a question for you about your book, the one that you've written and the one that you're writing, or I guess, is that one finished too? The NHL video game book? Uh, It'll be finished. uh, I want to say mid October. Okay. Awesome. I guess, generally speaking, did you always know, even when you were working um, in the Leafs organization, that you, you know, wanted to become a, a writer, something that, like, you wanted to get your thoughts on paper? Or is that something that kind of, like, happened organically um, since your departure? So, so, so here's the, the kind of the, the weird or the really amazing thing is that I knew that I wanted to be an author before I knew that there was such a thing as hockey. Like I was writing short stories when I was five years old. So, so that was my first talent in life. And, and all these wow. years I was just looking for something to write about. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, then as a follow-up to that, like what's, uh, you don't have to give away any say, like, say state secrets here, but do you have like uh, ambitions to like, are you going to keep writing hockey related books or do you think you'll, you know, we've already talked about like you have interests that are obviously like a side outside the sport. You have expertise outside the sport. Do you, 
envision that you'll just be writing uh, go forward, maybe about hockey, maybe not about hockey for like the foreseeable future? That's hard to say because for me, like, like hockey is a sport certainly, but it, it's also a lens through which I view the rest of life. Like a lot of, like I make sense of a lot of things in the world through the lens of hockey. So, so I think w whatever I'll be writing, there's going to be, it's probably going to still be a hockey thing, but, but how it kind of comes about or what specifically it's about, then that's kind of more open-ended, I would say. Okay. I got, I, I kind of want to go back to the hockey sense thing real quick. I'm curious if you think it's easier to coach it or learn it maybe as like a player, like, you know, I'm coaching a 14 under double a team and sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm curious if like, you know, just generally speaking, if 14 year old me would have been able to pick up the same concepts that I'm laying down or if like, I'm, if I'm ex not, if I'm explaining it right, that's not fair, but like, is it easier to perceive it or is it easier to teach it? I'm not sure, but if you look at um, how, how software is created now, right? Like, have you, have you guys ever heard of machine learning? Yeah. So, like, machine learning, it's, it's kind of opaque. So, you don't know how the computer comes up with a certain output, but it just does it, right? Because it goes through, like, hundreds of thousands or millions of permutations, and then, and, and then it gives you, you know, kind of a, a formula where it gives you a certain output, right? Right. So if you, if you take a player through enough game situation reps, you know, you would think that this player would kind of know how to address each problem. So maybe you haven't taught him anything explicitly, but implicitly he's learned by going through these, you know, this large number of reps. So let's say if I take a kid and I sit him down and I have him play NHL 20 for, for, you know, a few months, then he's going to implicitly know how to handle a two on one or a three on two or a breakaway or whatever. I haven't taught him anything, right? He's figured it out for himself. Mm. So then I, I, I think that, and then the, the tough part is you take the best of this implicit knowledge and then you try to distill it down to some explicit rules. So let's say on a two on one, right? You want to, let's say make an early pass and then, you know, either, either shoot or hit a back door. Right. Or in shell, it's like, you want to hold the puck and then try to go for a scene. Right. But, um, those explicit rules comes from understanding and distilling the implicit knowledge. So I think for me, the learning comes first and the teaching comes second. That's how I see it. That's fascinating. Well, Jack, I think multiple sports, I think multiple sports is even a great thing because I think I've learned more about vision from playing soccer or playing FIFA than actually playing the game of hockey. Uh, it's just how you see the game differently. I think there's, there's benefits to that as well. Even uh, like if an F1 driver gets those mental reps on a simulator, it's the same type mm -hmm. of thing where you're getting those repetitions, thinking of problems, different ways, finding yeah. different lines, whatever it may be. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's the, 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 the quantity side where like you want to get a large number of reps and there's a quality side where it's like you want something that's a little bit different, but that's not too different. Right. Because a, a little bit different expands your comfort zone. Whereas too different. It's just like, you don't really know what to do with that. It doesn't really help you. 
but you you, you want to kind of get the the quantity and the quality. Right. All right, Jack. I got one more for you. You, you mentioned McGill, and that was kind of like your foray into the NHL or at least professional hockey. And uh, I've talked to you about this offline, but I found it just like super fascinating. And I was hoping you could kind of share with our listeners, Peter Smith and the impact he's had on um, your career and just your life, maybe. Um, my, my biggest hockey mentor for, for sure. Um, so, so Peter is, you know, he – he played the game growing up. I, I think he played junior triple a, like pretty typical kind of coaching background. Um, he's a white man in his late sixties, you know, as, as different as he can possibly be to me, but then we're, we're the exact same people in some other ways. It's, it's really quite uncanny, but yeah. So my, my biggest mentor in hockey, like I, I could only wish that, you know, everyone out there has a mentor like him. That's awesome. All right, Jack, before we let you go, the floor is yours to uh, plug all of your various uh, mediums, both socially and, uh, you know, now that with the books and everything, please just give our audience an, an idea of where they can find you. Yeah, two minutes. Anything you want to talk about, there's no rules. It is all on you. All, all your thoughts, where to find you, book, etc. Give it to us. Uh, so just Google my name and then you'll find what I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the only Jack hand who works in hockey. So, so I'll, I'll be easy to find. Fair enough. What's your Twitter handle? Ali? It's uh, J H A N H K Y. Making it easy on us. Jack Making hand hockey. Yeah. Is, it, yeah. is it Han or Han? How do, how do we best pronounce your last name? It's neither. If, <laughs> if, neither you're not okay. Chinese, if, if you're not Chinese, you're not going to pronounce it correctly, but, but who cares? Give it to us. It's a uh, Han. Yeah, you're right. I don't Han. know if I'll get You know what? I'm just yeah. going to let that one slide um, yeah, yeah, and not yeah. screw that up. Sorry. Sorry I asked. <laughs> no. Well, well, thank you guys for having me. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Really appreciate you coming on. All right. Take care, guys. Stay safe. You too. Take Stay care. Safe. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal, Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at hockeysarsenal.com. Uh, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. 
check out the website hockeysarsenal.com where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.